0: The reason why uh, they are going not so well is because, basically, we are starting a new era.
1: not the way that you see 99% of people do it. For whatever reason, they thought that was totally normal. It's obviously gone from
2: having a fantastic group to even rubbing in the fact that players are on X amount of money.
3: One of the worst performances I've ever seen was at Swindon Town on the last day of the season. It was appalling, absolutely appalling.
4: You could have just kept the same squad done nothing at all other than told everybody to get on with it
5: and you wouldn't have been relegated it actually made me sort
6: of completely lose my love for the game hello everyone and welcome to episode four of the circus upstairs
7: i'm james masters still a long-suffering late north fan and journalist
6: i'm matt simpson once the subject of a bbc news story for promising to get the likeness of alex Seesack tattooed on my own face if he became our fourth summer signing bit weird because it was on the bbc and they tweeted my twitter handle it actually went crazy like for about two hours and i had radio stations like contacting me and saying it's yeah we can do the tattoo on the pitch we'll record it it's like i'm not actually going to do that and like other people tweeting me and saying you've said you're going to do it you have to do it now those
7: are the rules if you say you're going to do something
6: on twitter but at the same time i had loads of other people tweeting the bbc who were furious that they were paying license money for such nonsense.
7: Got to be honest. Yeah, I'm on that team. I don't know who commissioned that story on the BBC Sports Desk. Must have been a very slow day.
6: No. Right. We, after taking a short interlude to talk about Leighton Orient, the reality show, are back at the football. And just to recall, Orient are sitting in 23rd position with 26 points from 27 games going into February. It's not that good, is it?
7: Well, when you think where we were the season before, Matt, and how close we we were, this just seemed like a completely different planet, really.
6: We never heard very much from Francesco Bacchetti himself. Uh, He rarely did interviews, but it was at this point uh, he did decide to grant an interview to the BBC, and we are going to listen in to a couple of clips from that.
0: You
4: went so
2: good.
0: I think like the reason why uh, they are going not so well is because basically we are starting a new era and uh, I think with all investment, when you start something new, you have to wait a little bit of time to get on the right way. Um, so we were a little bit unlucky with a lot of injuries, but we hope that uh, all our investment, our uh, effort, they're going to translate into something good.
4: Are you concerned about relegation or are you still confident you can achieve safety.
0: Lucia, you are l'obbligo. As a businessman and manager, I have the moral obligation of believe it. And uh, we are not worried about the uh, you know, bad luck we have now. I think if we believe it and we trust in them, uh, they're gonna win some way.
4: And you mentioned there's been bad luck, and of course there has, but do you look at these, these first months in the English game and think, yes, there have been mistakes, yes, I have made some mistakes in the sport. conta the
0: In the sport, is the important thing is the score, and um, the score is not now, but is the, the end of the season. So we will see how is the end of the season. Are we gonna uh, finish the end of the season? Uh, in the future, uh, I'm looking at the, uh, the uh, other league, and uh, I think the the Little Union is gonna uh, win something. Is gonna go up
6: you won't be able to see this listeners but james was listening to that with his head in his hands in despair
7: <laughs> yeah it's been quite a few years and i'm still
6: yeah
7: still having therapy for it to be honest
6: Matt. i thought there were some quite interesting things in there so i liked his response to do you think you'll avoid relegation he's just like well if we just believe that we won't get relegated it will probably just be fine doesn't quite work like that, does it? It didn't work, did it? It's a new era. He's looking at other leagues. What leagues is he looking at? The Ryman Premier? (laughs) I'm going to play you another clip from it.
7: When things are not going well for a team, there are
4: rumours. There is speculation. Uh, Some have suggested uh, some of the English players are finding it hard that the manager doesn't speak English. Others have suggested... um, when a lot of new players arrive, there can be uh, splits in the camp. And mm. Do you look at the, the team and you say this is a unified team still, or are you concerned that not everyone is pulling together?
0: As I said, my work is uh, no giving an excuse. Let's give it time to Liberani. And uh, I don't think the language is going to be a barrier for, for him. Uh, I think we have just to give, like, uh, give Time like a lot of Italian people that they came here in the, fo- in the football in English football and, and they won something they were very really important. Um, so with the time, I think Liverani is the the right man.
6: I don't know if you remember that interview, but he looked very Bond villain esque. I thought, but I think by this point, most O's
7: fans are listening to them thinking, "Yeah, what's getting on here? This is uh, this is this isn't this isn't working. A and B. This, what is this guy going on about now?"
6: the splits in the camp it was quite interesting there was a, an article in the standard that came out i think very shortly after that interview so this article was titled revealed late orion in turmoil italian boss uses translator with squad players give own team talk in tunnel tensions over transfers and rising wages danger of exodus as morale plummets doesn't sound that good
7: i don't think anything that article surprises us or you know looks at our place given what people have told this podcast and what we've unearthed you know since we've been looking into it all and that so um i think it just at the time it you know made for uncomfortable reading but um pretty sure that was that was you know on the side of accurate i'd say
6: definitely so the bit there was a bit about the players doing their own team talk so the source we don't know who the source was said in the colchester game last month the players ended up doing their own team talk in the tunnel they decided amongst themselves which opponents they would each mark at set pieces it's obvious that's never going to work and it was no surprise they lost the game two nil so we, we put that to captain nathan clark and specifically asked him if it's true uh, that the players did their own team talk.
2: To be honest, it was it was one of them where the they tried their best. That their English wasn't fantastic. Um you know it was it was a case of possibly Ging each other up or, or whatnot. But yeah, it's um it was one of them. They tried their best to to try and get their team talks or try and get their message across. Um but you know unfortunately their English, you know, wasn't the best um so possibly might have happened yes
6: have you ever come across anything else like that in your years covering football
7: no I but you know i don't think i ever came across anything quite like what happened to orient either
6: so yeah clearly a lot of weird stuff going on um so nathan himself hit back at the story revealed in the standard and um, what did he say james he
7: said that they were shocked more than anything there was shock and disappointment it has come out and been leaked. I know for a fact it's not one of my players. We've got a good group we are desperate to get out of the mess we're in. To go to the press and think that's the easy option and get us out is completely wrong. So we stick together, bat off all the negativity and try to turn it into a positive, which we've done.
6: Good on him. I also remember from that interview, he was very defensive of Gianvito Plasmati. And for those of you that remember episode two of this podcast, Plasmati was one of the players brought in who, let's say, may not have had the pedigree that we were expecting. And Plasmati had become something of a figure of fun amongst Doreen fans. But Clark was very defensive of him. And I asked him why he did that. I just
2: feel as as captain I think I feel you've got a responsibility whether your players are out of control or or whatever or saying the wrong things or doing the wrong things I think as a, as a captain you've got a responsibility to take that off them and take put them put that back on yourself and, and try and take the pressure off them and um you know he was a new player um obviously found it hard initially to to get into the the swing of things and as, as captain, you need to support your players and help, you know, in any which way you can. And I felt like taking that possibly off him would, uh, hopefully him endear him into the, into the club and, you know, want to do, um, want to do well for the club and for the players. And again, just showing that the club are supporting him and, and sticking by him, you know, whether he was right or wrong, um, you know, it's something that as a captain you've got to, you've got to do. It was a, it was a good guy. Um, you know, he obviously found it hard fitting into the style, and possibly, it, it's hard obviously when you're not a, possibly a fan's favourite, or you know, along them lines. But off the field, he was, he, he couldn't do enough for you. Again, had a, a good career, I think. You know, initially, but again, just found it hard coming to Orient and, and fitting in and. When you do get off to a slow start, it's hard to pick that back up again.
6: I love Clarky. Is he called Clarky? I'm just going to call him Clarky. He's so nice, isn't he?
7: Yeah, I think that's well, as a captain, that's what you do, isn't it? You stand up and you defend your players.
6: It was very honourable of him to defend Plasmati like that because Plasmati was absolutely shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I feel like I've got a soft spot for him now after that quite moving just, speech by Nathan Clark. I just... I just...
7: He's a human being, and he was put into a very difficult position, plus the outside flak you're getting. I I, can't have been a very enjoyable experience for him, I imagine. You say
6: that now, like I imagine you were in the terraces giving him a whole load of shit.
7: Well, do you know what? I try not to single out players at a game. I I really do, because I don't think it's helpful to anyone, and I I just look like an idiot, so I tend to just mutter to myself. Abuse the whole team? yeah I, as long as you're inclusive in your criticism and i think that's the way to go you know
6: yeah just all of them together i yeah, make sure everything. i work my, yeah i just work my way through all 11 players throughout <laughs> the course of the 90 minutes that's fair isn't it as long
7: as everyone gets a bit of uh stick from simpson i think that's fair yeah
6: Next, on February the 14th, Valentine's Day, Orient claimed a surprise victory over Chesterfield 3-2, after which midfielder Marvin Bartley tweeted, and I quote, don't often tweet about football, but the winter day was the best way to silence the mole in the camp. Hashtag, togetherness will see us through this. James, you're a journalist. Who was the mole in the camp? You better know this. (laughs)
7: <laughs> i don't i don't know who the mole was I have, susp- I have my suspicions who the mole is but a journalist never reveals their sources um uh, you
6: know that what if i say the names of people who could have been the mole and you don't say anything and i'll just watch for any telltale giveaway signs in your face and then reveal <sighs> that to all our listeners know, it, uh, was, I mean, it de- was it I think was it me. was it was it dean cox that's a no listeners Kit man, Ada. Oh, you're too good at this. Like, you're deadpanning it. Orient lost their next game 2-0 at home to Bradford, but surprisingly win their next two games against Oldham and Walsall, lifting them to 21st in the table by the end of February. Some quite weird stuff happened in March, the first of which was that Andrea De Sena, Italian international, playing left back for Leighton Orient, inexplicably and uh, an extremely high wage. Smashed a ball into a supporter's face. I don't think he meant it. That was followed, probably unconnectedly, uh, is that a word? By three losses, a draw and one win throughout the course of March, which left us in 22nd position. Uh, and then something really mental happened. So on the 28th of March... Were you there for this game? Um, It was against Port Vale.
7: Yeah, Very vaguely, remember, sitting there at halftime, munching on some chocolate, and then
6: there was a really
7: weird announcement over the Tannoy. It sounded like Darius Henderson getting told off for being late and and missing kickoff. But it's one of those moments where you're like... Uh, Really? And you're all looking at each other like... Uh, I don't know what that was and he kind of carried on and then after you're like
6: that's that's not normal I think what I recall hearing was a slightly sarcastic message from the president himself relayed by Stadium announcer Philip often sort of sarcastically thanking Darius Henderson who turned up late for the game um due to traffic problems I believe Anyway, don't listen to us. We actually spoke very happily to Philip Offen, who was, as many Orient fans will remember, the stadium announcer for many, many years. You'll remember him because he rarely ever wore a coat, never wore a coat. He played fast and loose with what most people would consider to be the conventions of color matching. And I think we loved him for that. Anyway, we spoke to Phil and asked him exactly what happened on that. Slightly bizarre afternoon.
1: I was just on the pitch at half time doing the normal penalty shootout when my assistant, Tom Barry, came to find me, saying, "Alex, I was looking for me. He wants me to do an announcement." And thought, "Fine, that's the first that time that's ever happened." And then, and then, so yeah, I, I found him on the side of the pitch, and he was just like, "Okay, uh, Francesca wants an announcement. You say." welcome to Darius Henderson, glad you could make it on time. And I was like, what? And then he explained to me that obviously he got caught up in car trouble or whatever it was, and he'd only just arrived, That's you know he was going to come out for the second half. And I just, I remember saying, are you sure? He goes, oh, this would be really funny. He'll he, he find it really funny. And so I thought, well, what do you do? You know, if that's what they want over the panel, I'll say. And so I announced the team coming out for the second half, which I never really did, and said a special... Welcome to number fourteen, Darius Henderson, who's finally made it. And I didn't see it, but a few people have since said to me that he gave me quite a dirty look, or, or whether it was surprise or just pure hatred. You know, I must admit, at the time I didn't think it was that unusual. It's only because you know you've been asked. I've done wedding proposals on the pitch. It's just something you just do. But I suppose in retrospect, it's a bit of an odd thing to to uh, take the mickey out of.
6: Didn't you say this is a message from the president?
1: Oh, you know what? Now you say that, that rings a bell. I think that's exactly what I said. Yes, yeah, we've made it a very personal slight on on our number fourteen, Darius Henderson. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, from the president, who just wants to welcome Darius Henderson, who you know suddenly turned up or something. You know, it's it's a kind of like, when you take it like that context, it just sounds like the kind of you know having a go at someone that normally happens in closed doors. In this case, happened in front of about four thousand people. But I was told it would be funny. I was told he'd find it funny. Did he
6: find it funny?
1: I don't think he thought it was funny.
6: <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> you know, but it, uh, it comes up with that situation. You know, it's,
6: yeah, you just say it. Was Alessandro Angeleri embarrassed that he was asking you to do this?
1: No, no, no. He was, he was, he was reveling in it. They're clearly having a joke upstairs, and that's what they thought would be a really clever thing to do. You know, it's not the way that you see. of people do it for whatever reason. They thought that was totally normal.
6: Is that normal, James?
7: (sighs) I mean, nothing that was going on at the club at the time was normal, but that was exceptional, wasn't it?
6: Right. What happened next? Oh, if you thought some slightly mad things happened in March, the first thing that happened in April was Italian international Andrea De Sena, playing left-back for Orient, got arrested for stealing honey from Harrods. Of course, I actually
7: do. I don't know what the Harrods honey is like, Matt. That's, that's, maybe you can shed light. Have you ever maybe. had honey from Harrods?
6: Yeah, when uh, I went for afternoon tea with uh, Mauro Milanese at the Dorchester where he was staying, I believe the honey there was from Harrods. No, I've never had Harrods honey. But what I would suggest is that given uh, astronomical wages that Andrea De Sena was rumoured to be on, that he probably could have afforded to buy it.
7: Well, look, in De defence, what he said was that he was in Harrods with his wife and son for some shopping and forgot to pay for a honey jar and some sliced meats they'd previously ordered. While exiting the shop, unaware of my oversight, I was stopped by security guards, who then called the police as a standard routine procedure. As I wasn't carrying with me any identity documents at the time, I was asked to go to the nearest police station in order to be identified, after which I left and went back home. Hence, I've now instructed my lawyers... To protect my image with all necessary legal actions against those who reported this inaccurate and tendentious news. Um mm-hmm. the bigger what's the bigger crime? Not paying for the honey, or not knowing that he was Late and it left back on Andrea Dulcena. How did they not know who he was?
6: I mean, that's a bit of a cuss for him, isn't it?
7: I mean, they should know.
6: Couldn't he have got up it's... YouTube on his phone? I just loved that story. It was honestly like it was like, could anything more mad happen at our club? And it's like, oh yeah. Andrea desena has been arrested for allegedly stealing honey from Harrods.
7: I also think it's funny because it's Harrods. You know, remember when Russell was talking about the fact that he could now shop at Harrods and then a few months later, actually one of our players is being arrested at Harrods. So nice little bit of symmetry for you there, Matt.
6: I like that. Also, why would you go all the way to Harrods to buy honey and sliced meat? It doesn't make any sense.
7: I mean, i will just go to Tesco.
6: So he didn't go down for this, did he?
7: No, he was fine. He was fine. Got out of a, a sticky situation.
6: <laughs> did, you, did you have that one prepared? Um, just imagine if De Senna had been arrested and we didn't have the luxury of having him play left-back for us from the rest of the season. What a catastrophe that would have been.
7: I don't think we'd make a blind bit of difference, mate. But there you go. But, you know, things things did look up for a little bit Matt there was hope no um
6: I'm I feel like not sure. oh, yes yes um shortly after the allegedly stealing honey in, uh incident orient beat Coventry
7: 1-0 massive win it just felt like a really good win and I felt like the fans were with the team and there was a good camaraderie celebrations were good real positivity so you know, you know what happened after that.
6: Yes, I do. We only picked up three points from our next six games, which wasn't that good. Uh, so we were still in the relegation zone. And Alessandro Angeleri, CEO, and Razor Wit don't know why I said that <laughs> did a uh, yeah appeared at a Leighton Orient Fans Trust forum and was asked why he thought the team was struggling, and
7: so. During the meeting, one supporter had asked for the club's analysis of what had gone wrong during the season, and uh, Anglieri indicated he believed that the takeover had been later and would have been ideal, and that despite a significant playing budget being made available, the players who had come in had not always performed as had been hoped. It adds, these issues should not recur.
6: So it was the player's fault. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Why don't we ask... Player Nathan Clark, why he thought the team was struggling.
7: Why did you struggle to turn the results around? Do you think?
6: Uh, I'm
2: not too sure. I think there was obviously, you know, there was a big turnaround in uh, in the squad. Um, that that seemed to whether that unsettled the, the players that had previously been there, or I'm not 100 percent sure. I just felt that we possibly had a different relationship um, throughout. Um, the board members and, and the chairman and the players that were getting brought in from them, um, we felt like, you know, they're possibly a little bit of a different uh, relationship um, and it just didn't seem to, to work, unfortunately.
7: In terms of, in a different relationship between those players brought in and the board, in terms of them being fa- more favourable to the manager? or uh, Yeah,
2: possibly, yeah, in, in that sense. Yeah, and obviously, you know, they were coming in with big reputations, whether that suited our league or not they were they were still in um, you know their name kind of put them to the forefront and, and sometimes that just doesn't work um certainly in that league it's it's very unforgiving it's uh, in your face and um you know possibly not doing a disservice to the lads who have had fantastic careers but you know sometimes it just doesn't suit um you know the styles that the the managers and the players are, are used to I guess.
7: Right. Uh, a lot of these players who came in, people like uh, Dosena coming in on big money as well. Was yeah? Did you, did you feel there was any sort of resentment from other members of the squad that some players were earning so much more than others? Uh,
2: but, uh, you could possibly say that. I guess yeah, there was. Um, but again, that was just the different relationships. I guess that the the chairman had with with certain players when
7: during that that. Um, playoff season, obviously it was a very close knit group of players Yeah, similar wages, similar similar careers in some ways, um, all put together for for ne- for next to no money. And then obviously yeah. you've gone to the other extreme the following season. Was that just too big a gap for, for the group? Was that just too much of a change in too short a time?
2: Yeah, I think I think you've probably called it there, yeah. I think the um I think the group we had obviously the playoff year was like you said, they're very similar abilities, really. Um, We'd had, you know, lads had had good success in the leagues and um, obviously Kev playing in the Premier League and things like that. And it was, yeah, it was a group that we all knew uh, whereabouts we were, sort of wages-wise. There was nothing um, like that that was going to interrupt or disrupt the group. Um, And like you say, possibly when, players are coming in it it did affect the group and um, you'd like to think it shouldn't but um, you know obviously looking at how the year went and the season you know something like as simple as that you know could have could have knocked the group off and like you say possibly a bigger jump than the club or or the players were
6: ready for. It was quite a dominant theme like through all of this that tension between the new players brought in by the Buketti regime, the fact that they were on much, much better money than the players that had helped us get to the League One playoff final the season before. And yeah, as Nathan said, that that tension was clearly very damaging to the squad.
7: Yeah, but I think also... That tension comes from the fact you're not winning football matches. If you're winning, then I don't think people, you know, people might care, but they're not going to care as much.
6: So, we reached the denouement of the season. Orient went into the final game of the season needing to win. It was an away game against Swindon. Not only did we need to win, we needed results elsewhere to go in our favour, so it wasn't even in our hands. Swindon were already safely in the playoffs, so they chose to rest pretty much the entire team, as I recall. Were you there at Swindon? I was, yeah. It was a
7: lovely sunny day from what I remember. And it started off, you know, started off okay, because I think we found ourselves 2-0 up. I think they got on back after the hour mark, and you're like, okay, here we go. And then, obviously, you've scored Orient for a long time. You know what happens. Um, Swindon equalised for a few minutes to go, and that was that to all. And um, my abiding memory of of that game that was walking out of the stadium, you know, just gutted. And I think I walked out of Matt Porter. And I think he put his arm around me because he saw I was like... You know, a little emotional. But I said to him, can you believe it? And he just looked so stunned. I think everyone was just stunned that it actually happened because it just been like a bad dream. The whole season had been an absolute... I'm not going to say the word clusterfuck, but that, that's what it... You know, it it's just been absolutely horrendous. I thought I was done with football after that game. I was like, that, nah. But it's just, just horrendous. Just like absolutely horrendous from... Wembley last season to now being back in League Two.
6: It was worse because Swindon took resting players to the extreme. I mean, I think there was a member of their under 11 girls team playing, like the, the caretaker, some bloke just walked off the street. I mean, it was shocking that we couldn't beat them. And you're absolutely right, like, there was clearly not going to be a fairy tale end to the season like it was only inevitable that we would lose that game let's get a few takes on that so dave victor was of course there and let's hear what he had to say about it
3: one of the worst performances i've ever seen was at swindon town on the last day of the season when you think there were three players in that swindon town side and this was a team whose only ambition for that afternoon was not to get anybody injured because they were going into the playoffs regardless of the result, do you remember? They had three players Two of whom had never played for Swindon before, and three of them had never will never play never played for Swindon again. They they weren't even in the youth team. They were so fringe players. Um, I'm not even sure one of them was was a proper player. You know, he was probably a friend of the director and was given a, a contract just in time to to come out for the last couple of minutes of a match. But actually, he got a lot longer. We couldn't beat. An unbelievably bad Swindon Town side when we needed to win. It was it was appalling, absolutely appalling. I couldn't, again, couldn't quite believe my eyes, and I and I couldn't believe the arrogance of everybody afterwards. In terms of you know Fabio's um, body language, they just he didn't get the sense that that they cared, and they certainly didn't care enough.
7: What I would say, Matt, is that. I think Dave is one of the most positive people about Orient that I've ever come across. And to hear Dave talk like that, you get a little insight into just how upset he was, and um, which was reflected across the whole fan base and just how painful it was um, at the time.
6: Let's hear what Tom Jeffs, who, if you'll recall, was the commercial manager of Orient at the time. Let's get his take on the relegation.
5: It was very much... The, the inevitable was sort of going to happen and it was almost what, what was deserved. And I, I know that sounds awful, but the, there was almost no punishment for what they had done. If that makes, you know, if, if you see what I'm saying, if that makes sense, there was, they basically just come in torn, you know, this club apart that, you know, had so much going for it and was, you know, such a brilliant place and they almost just tore everything out of it. And there was no, there seemed to be sort of no remorse and there was no understanding that they were doing anything wrong. You, you'd sort of, their their consensus was, well, we, we bought good players. Why are we not doing well? And that, that was very much, that was very much it. And if I'm completely honest, so many people would just resign to relegation way, way before it happened. It was, yeah, it, it was very much, it had, it had been accepted and the club was going down and that was that. And, you, you know, I, I suppose people, no one had really thought ahead because no one knew what was going on. People were just hoping that they were they were going to leave or things were going to change. And I I, I, I suppose, was it? There was there was no real there was no real sign of that. It was it was a case of it snowballing, and how quick is it going to snowball, and, and what's going to happen? The the feeling in the office was more more anger by this point. There wasn't so much. You know, it's really disappointing. The club was the club's relegated. It was it was very much well. Hang on a minute. Eleven months ago, we were. Two 0 up at halftime in the playoff final, and how, you know how has this happened? And like I said, or alluded to, the bizarre thing was they were looking around, saying, "Yeah, how how has this happened? You know, we we've come in and we put our money in, and look at where the club is now. It 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 was just seemed it would just seemed like it was someone else or or something else or maybe the gods were just not shining on them it actually made me sort of completely lose my love for the game
6: his point around their perception that where well, we bought good players how can this be our fault you hear a lot don't you like like and i genuinely really think they think that like as if Success is all just down to the quality of the players and not anything to do with the way you run the club or how it's managed or like the coaching stuff like it's really delusional isn't it
7: yeah i think it speaks to a, you know complete lack of understanding lack of knowledge about how to run a run a football club or any semblance of coaching or or how it actually works just because you bought really good players it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna be successful there's a lot of things that have to come together for a, for a team and come to be successful and you know we didn't have enough of those
6: ingredients. Lastly Matt Porter who well yeah obviously was at the Swindon game because he gave you a cuddle afterwards here was his take on the game. I remember after the Swindon game you tweeted something like what a completely avoidable yeah, a waste,
4: of a, a waste of a waste of avoidable waste of a football club yeah yeah it was I mean because it wouldn't have been difficult to to not get relegated that season you know you wouldn't have had to have done anything at all you could have just kept the same squad that lost at wembley bought the club done nothing at all other than told everybody to get on with it and you wouldn't have been relegated so it's actually a destructive factor rather than not just a positive factor if 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 you get what i mean you know i think you you could have honestly put somebody with less experience than than me when i took the Chief exec's job 14 years ago and they couldn't have messed it up as much as they messed it up. It was just almost unmess upable.
6: What what do you think the, the factors were that led to it going so wrong?
4: It's it's all about relationships, right? Because you're not paying people enough money at that level. That they will crawl over a broken glass for you unless they love you and and love the I mean love the club you know it's not like people are people are on a million pound a year you know people are, are, are good honest people earning honest salaries and you need to get them focused and motivated and pulling in the same direction and if you don't do that then people will. will Will not want to work for you. It's really basic, you know, and and unfortunately, they just didn't create a good atmosphere around the club. It didn't create a a situation where people enjoyed going to work for Leighton Orient Football Club and were proud to work for Leighton Orient Football Club. And if it wasn't for the sort of lifelong love of the club that a certain few people have, The people, you know, and and by the way, I don't blame anybody who left the club during that period because a lot of them have gone on to progress their careers elsewhere in football to great success. And even those that have left the game, I don't blame them in the slightest. It was, you know, almost unworkable conditions. But the people who stuck with it managed to keep the club going despite the ownership, not because of the ownership.
7: Pretty damning. And I think it underlines just how close...
6: We came to losing Leighton Woynt Football Club. And I should say Liverani very shortly after that game found his contract to be terminated, one well, not renewed. He also made the usually mild-mannered Dave Victor extremely upset. Here's what Dave had to say about Liverani.
3: Liverani never ever brought into Leighton night as a football club. He was really distant from the players. Now whether or not he was turned off because there was other involvement that might be possible and he's gone on to be successful in his own right since leaving uh brisbane road but um he was a strange fella
6: so on that jolly note that brings us to the end of not only episode four but our first season of the circus upstairs but happily there's two more seasons to go not happily for orient happily for us what's going to happen in season two james
7: It's all going to get better, Matt. It's all going to get better for the first few games anyway.
6: In season two, the Italians learnt their lessons. They learnt from their mistakes. We only saw three managers across the course of the season. We won some games. No one got arrested for stealing anything from Harrods. But we did see the assistant manager attacked on the pitch by Francesco Pachetti himself. So lots more mad stuff happens. So please do listen in. I think that's it. All that leaves us to say is thank you for listening. Please come back and join us for season two. And I will look forward to seeing you all again then. Arafatirci. Your accent there is impeccable. I almost thought you were Italian.
7: Arafatirci.